I love that song. I asked them to sing that one. That's one that uh, when we were at the conference that they were at, and actually we've been there a couple times with them, uh, hearing them sing, and uh, that's on the new CD, right, brother, that song? We have all three of the other CDs. We don't have that one yet, so we're going to pick that up, but I highly encourage you to pick up some of that music and listen to it. We, we listen to the music all the time, and uh, actually we've done a couple of the songs on your other CDs here, you know, with our family, and so... Uh, just, a, just an encouragement. You know, there's a lot of junk music that's being put out today, and I'm not saying that it's not well-produced or whatever else, but it's just not, it's not music that's pleasing to the Lord. It's not music that is, that is uh, uh, uplifting to your spirit, and this kind of music is. And, uh, boy, I tell you what, it just puts you in that position. What kind of man would do that for me? You know, we're, we're doubters. We don't, we don't trust him like we should a lot of times. We are... We, we, we fail him so often, and yet he loves us the same way that he loves anybody else. And um, that's kind of what I want to preach on this morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. I've got two passages that I'd like you to turn to. Ephesians chapter 3 and 1 Corinthians chapter 2. They're not too far from each other. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 first. So turn there, maybe put a bookmark in it or hold your finger in it, and then Ephesians chapter 3. I didn't do it much when I was a kid because I didn't have the money, but I used to exchange baseball cards with my friends. I don't know what happened to that, but, you know, baseball cards dropped off the face of the earth. It used to be that every kid, if you were growing up in the 70s, 80s, 90s, you had a baseball card collection, a football card collection, a basketball card collection. Everybody did it, right? Uh, I think part of the reason was there was not video games and everything else to play with, so you had to do something, and so you'd go out and trade cards with your friends, you know, and... Uh, I didn't do tons of them because we didn't, uh, you know, I didn't have a lot of money to go buy cards and everything else, but I was pretty particular to Michael Jordan, so I had a bunch of Michael Jordan cards, and uh, I don't even know where they are now. I think one of my brothers swiped them or something. Somebody's probably got them in a collection somewhere. One of them was a Michael Jordan signature. Uh, it was a gold signature Michael Jordan card, and I know that thing was worth some money, but I had it in a box in my bedroom, and when I came back to get all my stuff out, half of my stuff was missing, you know, so... One of my brothers has it in a stash somewhere, and I'll find it one of these days when they pull it out. But I always loved trading with my friends for cards that they wanted, especially when I didn't even know who the player was, you know. <laughs> sure, you're going to have this card. Give me Michael Jordan or give me somebody that I at least recognize, you know. Well, I had a friend, uh, one of my friends, Scott, used to trade a lot of cards with lots of other people as well. And uh, he had a neighbor that lived across the street from him that was probably three or four years younger than he was. So I would say that Scott was probably 13 or 14. This kid was probably 9 or 10 years old, you know. And, uh, boy, you know, some, uh, it's like it is today, you know, some parents go out and buy everything for their kids, and pe- parents used to do that, you know, go out and buy, you know, $50, $100 worth of baseball cards and see what you can find in there. And anyway, this kid, his parents went and bought him a bunch of cards, and he found a couple really good cards in there. And he didn't really know the value of those cards, but my friend, Scott, did. And this kid had one card that he really wanted. But he knew that he wasn't going to trade him for any other card because he, you know, it was, it was a good card, you know. So Scott took a card that was not worth a whole lot of money, and I don't even know who the player was, but he took it across the street, and he told this kid, he said, uh, I'll tell you what, I'll trade you this card that I have for that card that, that, that I want. And I think it was a Michael Jordan card. He said, I want that Michael Jordan card. I've got this card, and I'll trade you for that one. And he said, actually, never mind. This card that I have is worth a whole lot more than that one, so I don't, I'm not going to trade you. By the end of that conversation, that kid was begging him to take the card that he wanted so he could get the card that he had, you know. Uh, I mean, obviously, it was not an even exchange, you know. And that's essentially, that's what God did with us, except that he knew what he was getting when he got us. The Bible says this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 9. 
But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And these are both verses that are familiar to you this morning. But Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 says this, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. When God got me, he knew what he was getting into. He wasn't fooled. He did it willingly. The problem with us is that the things that we have really are worthless, but we think we have something. You know, just like that card that Scott was trading with that neighbor kid across the street. It wasn't worth anything, but he made him think it was worth something so that he would give him what he wanted. You know, God has something so much better for us if we would just be willing to turn over those worthless things to him. And I want to, I think you'll understand as we go through the message this morning exactly what I mean, but I want to share with you a few things that we can give Jesus Christ that he will exchange for something so much better. I've got a couple verses that I want you to turn to with me this morning, so try to keep up if you can. Uh, but let's have a word of prayer and we'll get into the message. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for the blessings that you give us in our lives, blessings that we don't deserve, but blessings that you're more than willing to pour out upon us. The Bible says that you're standing at the windows of heaven waiting to pour us out a blessing. I can't imagine how many are up there waiting for us that we just can't receive because we're so wrapped up in the small things that we have in this world, things that we think are so valuable to us, but in the timeline and in the light of eternity are just so worthless. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us as we go through the message this morning, that as we look at this, the things that you want to give us in exchange for the worthless things that we give you, that we'd be willing to give up those things that we think we can't let go of in order to get to things that are worth more than we can possibly even comprehend. So thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that God did for us is I give him my righteousness and he gives me his. Now, I use that term righteousness loosely. In fact, turn over to Isaiah chapter 64. My righteousness certainly wasn't much that we gave him. Uh, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 64 in verse number 6, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Now, most of us don't keep filthy rags laying around the house. Now, some of them we use to clean, but even... even Filthy rags we don't use to clean anymore. We just get rid of them. And the Bible says that all of my righteousnesses are like that. All the good that I can possibly do, everything that I consider to be my crowning achievements in this life, everything that I've ever done to God, my righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That's not a whole lot that I can give him in exchange. But Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. And then he rose again. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross to pay for my sin. Even my righteousness to him is like filthy rags. And we talk about this often, but the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no way that even with all of my righteousnesses I could possibly get to heaven. I use that illustration. We just talked about it on Wednesday night about trying to jump across the Grand Canyon. We can't do it. No matter how hard we try, we have to get there by some other means than trying to get there on our own. And that's exactly what our righteousnesses do for us. Absolutely nothing. We're not going to get to heaven by our own righteousness. Our righteousness is not enough. There's a lot of good people in this world, and you might be one of them. 
But none of those good things are enough to enter heaven by our works. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 makes that very clear. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. I'm so thankful that my entering heaven doesn't depend on what I do. Or doesn't depend on what I've done. I would never get there on my own. And one of these days I'm going to stand before God, as we all will, and he's essentially going to ask me why he should let me into heaven. And the only answer that I have to give is that I'm covered by the blood of Jesus Christ because I accepted his payment as my payment to get me to heaven. I don't have enough righteousness on my own, so in faith I turned to Jesus Christ. I repented of my sin, and I asked him to come into my heart and to save me. And according to the word of God, he did just that the moment that I turned to him in faith. He covered me with his righteousness so that when God looks at me, he doesn't see those filthy rags. He doesn't see my righteousness. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ covering me instead. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9 and says, And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. What a great exchange. What a great exchange. I gave him my righteousness and he gave me his. But the second thing is this. I give him my life, and he gives me his. Turn over to John, chapter 15. This is right in the same vein, but boy, what a, what a thought. What a thought. John, chapter 15, and verse number 13, the Bible says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Boy, we use that verse, and I think it's perfectly appropriate to use that verse for somebody who's in the military or for somebody who's a, a police officer that lays down their life protecting others. We ought to be thankful for their service. We ought to be thankful for their sacrifice. We ought to be thankful for everything that they do for us. But greater love hath no man than this, than the man who laid down his life for his friends. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He gave his life so that I might have eternal life. Oh, you think if you exchange your life for somebody else's, that's a temporary thing. Uh, I mean, it's obviously your life is over, but it's just, it's, it's life. that People die all the time. And so to think about the fact that somebody stepped in front of a bullet for me or somebody was willing to go overseas and die for my freedom, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But Jesus Christ died on the cross to give me something that was so much more valuable than even physical life. He died on the cross so that I could have eternal life. We're going somewhere when we die. It doesn't end by just landing in the ground and being put in a beautiful coffin. And getting eaten up by worms and all of those other things. It doesn't end there. There's eternity after this. And eternity goes on forever and ever and ever. And Jesus Christ gave his physical life so that I could have eternal life. The songwriter said, his heart was broken. Mine was mended. He became sin. Now I am clean. The cross he carried bore my burden. The nails that held him set me free. His life for mine. His life for mine. How could it ever be that he would die? God's son would die to save a wretch like me. What love divine. He gave his life for mine. The second verse says, His scars of suffering brought me healing. He spilled his blood to fill my soul. His crown of thorns made me royalty. His sorrow gave me joy untold. He was despised and rejected, stripped of his garments and oppressed. I am loved and accepted, and I wear a robe of righteousness. Why? His life for mine. How could it ever be that he would die? God's son would die to save a wretch like me. What love divine. He gave his life for mine. Turn over to Romans chapter 6. I give him the old man and he gives me a new man. I give him my life. I turn everything over to him. 
the old man, the old filthy, rotten old man with the flesh and everything else that accompanies that. I give him that old man and he gives me a new man as part of that eternal life. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. When I became a Christian, the old me, the, the one that fought against God, the one that resisted God was put to death. And God gave me a new man, one that desires true holiness, one that desires true righteousness. Brother, Brother Mark talked about that this morning. Having that desire to be devoted to Jesus Christ. That's what the new man is. But we're constantly going to be fighting against that flesh. We're constantly going to be fighting against that old man. But as I crucify that old man, as I give that old man to him, he, puts, he gives me the new man. He tells me, put on Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Because I was saved. I had no righteousness. But I was only living in the flesh. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22, that ye put off concerning the former conversation. The old man, the former lifestyle, that old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. I love life as the new man. I want to be righteous. I want to be holy. And sometimes it doesn't work out that way because I give in to the flesh. But life as a new man is wonderful. I want to please God. I want to live for him. I want to have that right relationship with him. He gave me the new man when I gave him my old man. What an exchange. What an exchange. There's an old story that says that an old Indian Christian was describing the battle that goes on in, in, inside of him. You might have heard this story before, but he said there's, there's a white dog that represents all of that's good, and there's a, there's a black dog that represents all of that is evil. And he said they're, they're, they're just constantly at war with each other. And someone said, well, how do you know which one wins? Which one wins? They said, the one that I feed the most. And boy, isn't that true? When we feed our flesh, the flesh wins. When we feed our new man, when we feed that spirit, the spirit wins. We need to make sure that we're feeding the right dog in the fight. We need to make sure that we're feeding our spirit. And that is by spending time in the word of God, by spending time in prayer, by turning off the television and listening to some good godly preaching, turning off the, the, uh, the world's music and listening to some good godly music like we've heard this morning. That's what we need to do. We need to replace the old man with the new man. If you really want to be righteous, then you have to feed the righteous. If you really want to be holy, then you have to feed the holy. And that's what we got to fill it with righteousness. We have to fill it with holiness. And we don't, we're not trying to manufacture something, but what you feed is what's going to thrive. And if you want to thrive in your spiritual life, then we need to feed the spiritual. The flesh is never going to give up trying to make us quit. Flesh is never going to give up trying to make us fall. But God gives us the means to feed the new man and help him win the battle in our lives. When I give him the old man, he gives me a new man. What an exchange. I give him my righteousness and he gives me his. I give him my life and he gives me his. But also, number three, I give him my bondage. And he gives me his freedom. What an exchange. Turn over, if you will, to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. There's so many people that live in bondage to sin. And many of them don't even realize that they're living in bondage. They think, oh, I, I have the freedom to do whatever I want to. There's a lot of people that try to make fun of Christians because they're not allowed to do things. You know, you can't drink. You can't smoke. You can't go out partying. You can't do all the things that the world does. No, I could, but I don't have to. Think about those who are addicted to alcohol. 
Think about those who are addicted to cigarettes. Think about those who are addicted to drugs. There's a reason it's called addicted, because you can't let go of it. They're addicted. They're in bondage to those things. That's not the case. It's not that I can't do those things. It's that I don't have to do those things. And it doesn't make me better than somebody else because Christ freed me from those things. But it doesn't mean that I'm in bondage to them either. I have the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ. When I came to Jesus, I gave him my bondage and he gives me his freedom. And that can only be found in him. Let me tell you, there's a lot of people that feel they're stuck in a lifestyle that they cannot get out of. But God's promised freedom to anyone that will turn to him. And boy, we, we talk about a lot of different things. I, I believe that a homosexual can be saved just the same way that a liar or a murderer or a thief can be saved. You know, there's a lot of people who are living in that lifestyle that feel like they can't get out. Well, this is just who I am. I can't, I can't leave this as much as they want to. They can't leave that lifestyle. I've heard people say before that they, that they pray every night that God would kill every homosexual and send them to hell. That is not of God. That's not anywhere found in the Bible. There's nothing that says that in the Bible at all. In fact, the exact opposite is true. Now, God calls the homosexual lifestyle an abomination to him, and that means he hates it. But he also calls a lot of other things an abomination, too. He calls lying an abomination. Has anybody in here ever told a lie? Well, let's kill all the liars and send them to hell, then. Let's pray that God would kill every liar and send them to hell. No, we, we're, not gonna, we're not willing to do those things. You know, I hate the homosexual lifestyle, and God makes it clear that he hates the homo, homosexual lifestyle, but he also makes it clear that he doesn't hate the homosexual either. Just like God doesn't hate the liar, and just like God doesn't hate the thief, and just like God doesn't hate the murderer. He hates the sin, and he makes it clear in a lot of places in the Bible that those things are not right. But he loves the sinner, and he wants to save him. And when I give him my bondage, he gives me his freedom. The Bible makes that very clear in John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world. Not God so loved the world except the liar. God so loved the world except somebody who kills another person. God so loved the world except the homosexual. He doesn't say that. He says he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever... Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He didn't so love the world minus anything. He so loved the world, and that's that. He loved me. And that's enough for me to believe that he can love anybody else. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. The Bible says this in verse number 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Get this. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You want to talk about the idea that God has chosen certain people to be saved and, and others to be condemned to hell? The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 17. Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth, lest the Lord see it, and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. Boy, we fall into that trap a lot of times when it comes to people in the political realm, people who are opposed to the word of God, people who are opposed to the things that we stand up for. And we, you know, we, we hear about one of them failing. and Oh, we get so excited about it. Oh, I'm so glad they failed. Now, I, I certainly want people to fail that are trying to destroy this country. I want people to fail, uh, you know, politically that are trying to turn this country away from God. But it's not a great day when somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior finally dies and goes and gets what they deserve. It's not a great day when those things happen. And that's what the Bible is saying here. Lest the Lord see it and it displease him and he turn away his wrath from that person because you hate him so much. I'm so glad that God didn't look at my sin and say, you're too worthless to save. 
They saw me and my sin, and he said, young man, I want you to give me those sins that are keeping you in bondage. I want to give you the freedom that only I can give. Turn over to Galatians chapter 3. See, God can give freedom to those who are caught in the web of Satan, even as a Christian. And there's a lot of Christians who make mistakes. There's a lot of Christians who fail over and over and over, and they kind of fall into this web they feel like they just cannot get out of. And they finally unstick themselves, and they take another step, and they get stuck on another part of that web, and they just cannot get out of it, it seems like. Just because we're saved does not mean that we're free from temptation. doesn't mean that we're never going to sin again. doesn't mean that we cannot fall. But I want you to consider a couple verses here in Galatians chapter 3. and verse number 3, the Bible says, Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? He says, if the Holy Spirit came into your heart and he saved you and he pulled you out of that wicked lifestyle, do you think that going back to that lifestyle is going to keep you in the way that you want to go? Of course not. Look at Galatians chapter 4, probably the next page over. In verse number 9, he says this. And what a great question. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements? Whereunto you desire again to be in bondage. Now, I ride with the police all the time. And I am with them many times when they arrest somebody and they take them to jail. And they put them in handcuffs. And, you know, I've been there when they've also released some people from, from jail. They've, they've served out their time and they're letting them go. Not one time have I seen somebody walk out of the jail and say, actually, you know what? Here, take me back. I don't like this. I don't want my freedom. Put me back in, inside. Right? Nobody says that because you don't want to be in bondage. You want to have that freedom. And what he's saying in this passage is, are you so foolish? What would make you want to put your hands back in that bondage? He saved you from that. He saved you from a wicked lifestyle. He saved you from all the effects of sin. He saved you from that addiction or whatever it happens to be. Why would you put yourself back into bondage? That's, it doesn't make any sense to him. And it shouldn't make any sense to us either. After that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? You see, as Christians, we've been freed from the bondage of sin. Why would we ever want to go back to being in bondage? Talk about a great exchange. I give him my righteousness and he gives me his. I give him my life and he gives me his. I give him my bondage and he gives me his freedom. Number four, I give him my wealth and he gives me his. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I don't have a lot, but I can tell you this. God's my Father, and He owns infinitely more than I can ever dream of possessing. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 26, For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That, doesn't mean, that, that's not, that, that means that it's not saying that He owns a little corner of the Rocky Mountains, or He owns a, a large parcel western part of the United States, or he owns a big section of Africa or something like that. The Bible says the earth is his. He owns everything. The entire globe is his and the fullness thereof. Not only does he own the earth, he owns everything in it. And if we, we can take that a whole lot farther and say that he owns the entire universe, because he does. Dr. S.M. Lockridge, he's, he passed away years ago now, but he said this, he possesses absolutely our lives. We ought to call him owner. He doesn't have to put a signature in the corner of a sunrise. He's the owner. He didn't have to put a laundry mark in the lapel of the meadow. He's the owner. He didn't have to carve his initials in the side of the mountain. He's the owner. He didn't have to put a brand on the cattle of a thousand hills. He's the owner. 
He doesn't have to take a copyright out on the songs that he gives the birds to sing. He's the owner. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 50 and verse number 10, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. In other words, he's not walking around begging. He owns everything. It's all his. He can take anything that he wants to anytime that he wants to. Now, if he owns all that, don't you think he can take care of our puny little needs? Even as big as they seem sometimes, don't you think God can take care of the little needs that we have? He owns the entire universe. That's why I believe that even in an expensive area like Henrico, Virginia, that God can give us a piece of property to build a church. Even the one that we're standing in right now. Six million dollars may as well be $106 million to us. The six million dollars to God might as well be six pennies because he owns it all. And no disrespect to Mike Carroll, the guy that owns this property, but he's not the rightful owner of this property. God owns this property, and right now it's just on loan to Mike Carroll. God can give it to us at any moment that he wants to give it to us because it all belongs to him. God has brought us too far. He's done far too many miracles for us, for him to abandon us now. And that's why I believe that God will supply the needs of this church. And we're never going to have to close the doors because we can't pay the bills. This is God's church. It belongs to him. And he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The way that happens is by giving to God. The more we give to him and to his work, the more he gives to us. The Bible says in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. You can never outgive God. And by the way, God doesn't need your money. Oh boy, what are we going to do if that family leaves and they stop giving? God's taking care of us this far. He got along without you before you showed up, and he'll get along just fine after you're gone. He doesn't need your money, but God allows us to give so that he can bless us in return for it. And you can never, ever outgive God. He doesn't always repay us in monetary things. Well, if I give thousands and thousands of dollars to God, then, boy, I'm going to be, I'll be a millionaire before long. No, it's not. God doesn't always repay us in money. How many times have you heard somebody say, I'd give anything to have my health back? How many times have you heard somebody say, I would pay any amount to have my family back together? You give to God, God gives back. He gives again and again and again. You can give God of your wealth, and God gives you his wealth in return. There really is no comparison. What a great exchange. I give him my righteousness, and he gives me his. I give him my life, and he gives me his. I give him my bondage, and he gives me his freedom. I give him my wealth, and he gives me his. And lastly, if you will, turn over to Psalm 37. I give him my desires, and he gives me his. A lot of us are so sure of the direction that we're heading in our lives, and we know exactly what we want. We're going to go out and get it. I'm going to make this goal. I'm going to accomplish this thing. This is the direction I'm going in my life. Someone would ask us for a list of things we're doing or want to do. We could whip it out and tell them exactly what we're going to be doing today, tomorrow, 10 years from now. You ever seen the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? No, what, what, what character on there? I'm, I, I, you want the moon? I'll wrap it up and carry it down for you. I'm going to do this, and in five years, I'm going to be doing that. Right? That's how a lot of us live our lives. I know what I'm going to be doing. I've got everything figured out. We like to plan. We like to know. We like to be in charge of our lives. But the Bible says this in Psalm 37 and verse number 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. 
Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. See, when we turn our desires over to him, he gives us his desires in return. I think we misinterpret this verse a lot of times. not saying, delight thyself in the Lord, and he'll give you everything that you want. It says, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. In other words, God gives us the desires that we should have. You give him your desires, and he'll change your desires. That's what he does for us. He knows what's best for us, but often we don't hear his voice over the noise of everything we're marching forward with in our lives. Perhaps God's telling you the importance of being in church on Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You think you're too busy and have too much going on to attend. Perhaps your desires have turned more toward money instead of toward winning souls and toward trying to see people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But we all get our desires misplaced sometimes. We all move in the wrong direction sometimes. But when you delight in the Lord, delight thyself also in the Lord, He changes your desires. I felt the call of God in my life to go into the ministry at a very early age. But that didn't change the fact that I was like most kids and I had a desire to do things that were cool. I wanted to go into the military. You know, I see these Marines in their uniforms and I always wanted to be a Marine. I always wanted to fly. So it was one of those things I was torn because I, I really wanted to fly like F-16s and all of those and that's the Air Force, but their uniforms are not near as cool and they're not as well respected as the Marines. So I was, I was gonna go into the Marines and fly. That's what I was gonna do. And then I, you know, then I wanted to get into being a police officer. I, I loved medicine, so I always wanted to get into, you know, the medical field. And I mean, I had a lot of different things that I wanted to do when I was growing up. But I gave God my desires. I gave in to his desires for my life. And I went into the ministry, obviously. God changed my desires over the years. There's nothing in the world that I'd rather be doing than what I'm doing right now. I don't really have a desire to be in the military anymore. I love it. I still love it. I still think the, the Marines uniform is still the sharpest one out there. Uh, I still would love to, you know, do something with medicine, but I don't have a desire to go to school to be a doctor or anything like that. But, you know, this will just show you how God works. Before we moved here to start this church, I was an EMT in Chesterfield for five years. I got all the medicine that I wanted to, not, not that I wanted to take, but I got my fill of all of the medical side of things that I wanted to do. For five years, I rode in the back of an ambulance, drove the ambulance, got to do all of those things. I got my fill of all those things that I wanted to do when I was growing up. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be in the military or, or, or be a part of the police, and God's allowed me to become a chaplain and be involved, as, as involved as I possibly can be in all of those things. And I get to, you know, I get to go out and ride with the police. I get to go out and be involved in the community and helping them with, with so many different things that they do. He changed my desires. Then he gave me all of those former desires. Delight thyself also in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll change those desires. And that's exactly what God wants to do for each one of us. It only begins when we give him our desires. I know I've told you this story before. But I'll tell it to you again. Maybe you have not heard it before. There was a little girl who was almost five years old. She was waiting with her mom at the checkout, and that's when she saw it. A nice little string of glistening pearls. And so she said, Mom, can I buy those pearls? And of course, her mom picked it up off the back and looked at it. It was $1.99, obviously genuine pearls. 
But she said, well, it's $1.99, and you don't have that much in your piggy bank, but you can save up some money, and once you get enough money, then you can, then you can buy those pearls. And so she got home. As soon as she got home, she opened up her piggy bank, and she found 58 cents in her piggy bank. So she asked her mom, how much more money do I need? So she told her, and she said, well, I could go across the street and, and maybe pick up sticks for the neighbor, and, and maybe she'll give me some money. She said, hey, go for it. So she went across the street, and sure enough, her neighbor gave her a dollar for helping her pick up the sticks, and she had a dollar fifty-eight. And then it was really close to her birthday, and she got $2 in the mail from her grandmother. And so finally, she had enough money to buy, well, maybe not with taxes, but she had enough money to buy those pearls. And so she went to the store, and she was so excited. She got those pearls, and she paid the, the checkout cashier herself. Gave her the money, and she got the change back, and she couldn't even wait to get out to the car. She was begging her mom to open up that package and put those string of pearls around her neck, and her mom did. She felt so grown up. She felt like she looked just like her mother, and so she wore those pearls everywhere. She wore them to, uh, she wore them to play in. She wore them. The only place her mom said that she couldn't wear them was when she was taking a bath because it would turn her neck green. But every, other than that, she wore them everywhere else. Well, Jenny is her name, and she had a very loving father, and every night when she was ready to go to bed, he would stop whatever he was doing, he would come upstairs, and he would read her a little bedtime story and tuck her in for the night. And one night, when he finished reading the story, he asked Jenny, he said, Jenny, do you love me? She said, yes, Daddy, you know that I love you. And he said, uh, well, can I have your pearls? She was kind of taken aback. She wasn't expecting him to say that. And she said, Daddy, you, you can have the, the little horse that I just got for my birthday. You know how much I love the horse. And you can have the brush that goes with it. And he said, no, that's, that's all right. And he brushed her cheek with a kiss and tucked her into bed and went back down the stairs. About a week later, after the story time, Jenny's dad asked him again. He asked her again, do you love me again? She said, Daddy, you know I love you. You asked me that last week, and I told you that I love you. And he said, well, give me your pearls. Well, Jenny, obviously, she said, Daddy, not my pearls. You can have my baby doll. You can have the baby doll that I sleep with every night. She's my favorite. You can take her. He said, no, that's, that's okay. Sleep well. He brushed her cheek with a kiss and went back down the stairs. A few nights later, Daddy came into the room, and she was sitting on the bed. Her legs were crossed Indian style, and as he came closer, he could tell that she had been crying. In fact, he saw a tear that was actually rolling down her cheek when he walked in. And she was sitting on the bed, and he's, he had no idea what was going on. He said, what, what is it, Jenny? What's the matter? And as he walked over there and sat down on the bed next to her, she didn't say anything, but she lifted up her hand and opened it up, and inside her hand were those pearls. She reached them out toward her dad. And as he reached out to take those pearls, he reached into his back pocket and he pulled out a blue velvet case. He opened that blue velvet case and inside was a string of genuine pearls. You know, that's exactly the way that God is with us. He was just waiting for Jenny to give up that dime store stuff so that he could give her something that was so much more valuable. And that's exactly what God wants to do with us. We have things that we feel like we just cannot get rid of because it's too valuable. I can't let go of this. You know how much it means to me, God. This job is something that I can't let go of. This money is something that I can't let go of. This fill in the blank. It's just something that I can't get rid of. And God says, but you don't realize that it's not worth anything. 
you don't realize that I have something that's so much more valuable that I want to put in its place. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that worketh in us. He's waiting this morning. What is it that you need to turn over to him? Is it your life? Have you never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Is it your money, your job? Are you holding on to the things in this world like they're going to last forever? Maybe it's your desires. Maybe you're holding on to those because you've got plans. And I know what I'm going to be doing in 10 years from now. Maybe God's just waiting for you to turn over your desires. Perhaps you think you know what you want more than God does for your life. Whatever it is, I can tell you this. God's waiting for you to turn it over to Him so He can give you something so much more valuable in its place. Ah, a great exchange. In every single scenario, the odds are stacked in our favor. You can never turn something over to God that He doesn't make it absolutely worth it for you. You can never turn something over to God that He's not going to give you something so much more valuable than Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for the time that we've spent together around your word this morning. Many of us have things in our lives, God, that we just think we can't let go of. Maybe it's the world's music. Maybe it's the world's movies or the television or the internet or who knows. There's so many things that the world just wraps its fingers around our throat with and feels like we just cannot get away from it. So many things that we wrap our fingers around and hold on to with a stranglehold because we just can't let it go. God, you're waiting for us to let those things go because they're worthless. They have no value. And you want to give us something so much more valuable in its place. Can't help but think that as I preached this morning, we thought of things in our own mind that you want us to let go of. Pray that you give us the power and the courage to let go of those things so that you can really, truly bless us. Pray that you give us a desire for holiness and righteousness stronger than anything else in our life. That we'd have the relationship with you that you want to have with us. Pray that you speak to our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Piano's going to play. If God's spoken to your heart, come down to an old-fashioned altar and get those things right with God this morning.